Okay, we are, as you know, in Colossians, we're actually finishing up Colossians in about three weeks. And we should be then heading back to kind of finish up Exodus. I'm a little, little concerned about going back to Exodus because it's so different from Colossians. There's, there's truth in every part of scripture, but there are parts of scripture where the mining is a little different. Colossians is like diamond mining. You, you walk around and, and they're scattered on the ground and you pick them up. It doesn't take much. Every passage is just rich. Um, some passages you have to dig up a little bit more. It's kind of like iron ore where you pull out a couple of tons and you get some iron out of it. And, and so we're going to go into the last part of Exodus, um, which deals with the construction of the temple and the priest robes and, and all of that. And yet all of that points to Jesus Christ. Um, we know that from Hebrews, everything, all of that pointed toward Jesus Christ. Um, but it'll be hard to switch from Colossians to to that, but um, that's, that's what we're going to do. Um, we'll finish up Exodus. Uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, we're heading toward the end of Colossians. Colossians is, um, is elevates Jesus Christ because he was being lowered in that city in their teaching, and it tells us these incredible things about Jesus Christ, which you see in the first couple of chapters. Starting in chapter 3, the application section begins. We're told to switch our focus and put our focus on um, Jesus Christ. Set your affections on the things above. Set your heart on the things above, not on the things of the earth, because that's where Christ is, and we are identified with Jesus Christ. And then he begins to make it very practical. Um, here is what it looks like to be a Christian. And it's, there are some things that we're to put off, uh, in other words, they're not to walk in the flesh, and that's sexual immorality and impurity and anger and wrath and malice and idolatry or covetousness. All of those things are to be put off. And then we are to put on certain things, and it's, it's really just a picture of who Jesus is. We're to put on um, compassionate hearts, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, we're to bear with one another, we're to forgive each other, we're to love each other. And then it tells us that the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts and that we're to be thankful. And then it says that uh, the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly and we're to be thankful. And we're to be speaking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other with thankfulness. And then it tells us that everything should be done for the glory of God. And then he begins to get uber practical, right? That's practical enough. You read that and you go, man, that's incredible. And so he starts taking what he's talking about and he applies it. And I, I, I see it as a series of circles. In the end of chapter three and the first verse of chapter four, he deals with our close personal relationships. The, the ones that are close to us husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves, uh, the people that you would deal with on an everyday type of basis. And we have a series of right, I mean, responsibilities. Paul never talks about your rights in the relationship, never once. 
He simply says, these are your responsibilities. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then in every relationship, there's somebody who is in the position of power or authority, and that person is always given a warning. Husbands are to be gentle with their wives. Husbands are to uh, treat their wives in an understanding way. Parents and children, children are to obey. Parents, it doesn't say it in Colossians, are to train their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but fathers are always urged to be, not to exasperate their children. Slaves, and that's the one for me that breaks it wide open, slaves are to obey their masters as if they were obeying Jesus Christ. And, and really it's the same principle. Children are to obey their parents as if they were obeying Jesus Christ. Wives are to submit to their husbands as Christ, uh, the church submits to Jesus Christ. There's this picture always of, of submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. But slaves, even an unjust master is to be, you're to work for that master as if it was Jesus Christ who was asking you to do that. And then masters, of course, are told be uh, fair with your slaves and remember you have a master in heaven. So that's the first relationship. Now, the next two verses, chapter, verse uh, two, three, and four actually, so three verses, I think widen the circle out and we're gonna read those in a second. And this deals with people who are believers and it might include these people also but it's, it's a wider circle. It's people that may not, we might not deal with on an everyday um, basis. And the topic is really going to be prayer. Because the way that we uh, encourage and, and, um, and help those people and the, the responsibility we have for those people is to pray for them. So this section today deals with prayer. And then the last big section will be with those who are outside the faith. And Paul is going to talk about what to do with those people. So we're kind of done with this section. We're going to go into this one. So go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 4, um, starting at verse 2. And we'll actually read verses 2 through 6. It says, uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time also, or at the same time pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Um, let your sorry about that. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that each person may know how you, that you may know how to, sorry, <laughs> I'll try that again. I, I was starting to quote it and then I realized I was reading as well. So let me try again, verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Um, we'll deal with that next week, but today we wanna look at this section that deals with prayer uh, because Paul is asking for prayer for himself and so Paul is going to tell us three things that we ought to that ought to be true for us in prayer and the first one is that we should be steadfast in prayer 
And by the way, did you notice the thankfulness in there as well? It just keeps coming up. I think the ultimate mark of the believer is that we are thankful people. If we're not thankful people, something's wrong. But even there it said, be um, continue steadfastly in, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So we're to be steadfast in prayer, we're to be watchful in prayer, and we are to pray for the Apostle Paul um, that he would have uh, an opportunity to speak the gospel clearly. Now, <clears throat> this one doesn't apply anymore, right? <laughs> Except that it does, because what is Paul actually praying for? Asking them to pray for. Right? That the gospel would go forth, all right? Um, this prayer is still here. It's just that it's not for the Apostle Paul anymore. The Apostle Paul essentially was a missionary asking for prayer. Um, I think we can extend this one, pray for um, the, the furtherance of the gospel. Pray for those who are spreading the gospel, which should be all of us, but we have people that we know who are doing that on a regular basis. So we'll get to that in a minute, all right? What does the word steadfast mean? Persevering. Persevering, okay. Um, Never ceasing. Not ceasing. If somebody's steadfast, and those are, that's true. Steadfast, what do you picture? Unmoving. Unmoving. Somebody who's planted. Nobody's going to stop them from doing what they're doing or move them. So that's the idea of unmovable. Devote yourself to prayer. Yeah. So that would be another one, somebody who is devoted to it, which means that it is a focus of their life. Give me an example of someone from the Old Testament who was steadfast in prayer. Was that? Persistence in prayer. Yeah. Give me an example, somebody. Daniel. Right? Isn't that the one that comes to mind? You want steadfastness in prayer. The Bible gives us this incredible example of Daniel. Hold on, Matt. I'll get to you. Um, right? He, he starts praying. Um, actually, he, he's known for his prayer, so much so that that's how they get him. Right? That's where the lion's den comes from. If we're going to find an offense, it'll be in regard to his God. They pass the law. You can't pray anymore. What does Daniel do? Goes and prays. I don't change my, I keep praying. Um, by the way, there's another interesting story about Daniel. You guys all know this one where he starts praying about uh, Jerusalem and he starts praying and he prays for, for 21 days. And on the 21st day, the angel comes to him and says, on the first day you started praying, I left but there was a gigantic war in heaven and I was opposed by, by um, Satan. And it took me 21 days to get here. That makes my head hurt. I don't understand that. I, 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 it, it just is weird picture to me that this is taking place, that God just doesn't send the answer. But I've always wondered what would have happened if Daniel had stopped praying on day 10, <laughs> right? The, 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 the picture there was persistent in prayer. Matt, what were you going to say? I'm just thinking another good character would probably be 
Joseph, I think, is known more for his steadfast faith rather than steadfast prayer. Yeah, it doesn't talk a whole lot. Of, I'm sure Joseph was a person who prayed as well, but I don't know if it, that one comes up as much. We know Moses prayed for his people. Um, and of course, the, the picture is of uh, Elijah being a man who prays as well. That one's pulled out in the New Testament, okay? Um, who else is New Testament who's steadfast in prayer? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Every time you read his writings at the very beginning, it tells us that we are to be, that he is praying for them. I pray for you constantly. Almost every book begins that way, okay? There's a really important character in the New Testament. Who's, who is it, Anna? Jesus Christ. Jesus is known for his prayer. Um, and we, we see that uh, all the way through. I, I actually looked up this week every reference to prayer in the New Testament. There's a lot of them. I didn't look them up and study them. I just went through and looked at the verses. You know what Jesus is doing before every important thing that happens? He's praying. He's praying. I didn't know this. He was praying when the Holy Spirit descended from heaven. I always picture it that he was baptized and is standing there and then the Holy Spirit. But it says he was baptized and in Luke while he was praying, the Holy Spirit came down. He was praying on the Mount of Transfiguration. He wasn't just standing there. He was praying. And then Elijah and, and Moses came to him. He was praying before the, he was praying, so much so that what does his disciples do? Teach us to pray, pray okay? So that is steadfastness, all right? Uh, watchful, and by the way, we have plenty of commands on this in the New Testament, right? Uh, I urge men to pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. We can pull out verse after verse on steadfastness in prayer. Second one is watchful in prayer. Watchful in prayer. What does watchful mean? Uh, what is that? Alert. Alert. How, okay, very good. We'll, we'll get the other words. Anybody have another a Bible that says anything else besides watchful? By the way, my ears are plugged, so when you talk, you have to talk loud. I, I woke up and I just realized as I was talking, I'm having trouble hearing people. So, um, it means prayer expectantly. In a sense, pray, pray expecting your prayer to be Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, who's watchful? When we think of watchfulness, who do we think of as watchful? Guards. Guards, right? Guards are standing there, they're scanning. Um, the, um, the, the actual idea here is don't fall asleep. Okay, and, and Charlie just uh, went ooh, <laughs> because if you're like me, Charlie, have you ever fallen asleep while you're praying? Okay, uh, once or twice, maybe. Um, I had to stop praying before bedtime on my knees. I was go to bed later than everybody else. I'd be in the living room and because I would wake up at two in the morning on my knees and very uncomfortable, very sore. Um, so uh, some of us, when you hear that, don't fall asleep. But I think that's a part of it. But I think the watchfulness here is that prayer should be important to us that we're looking for the things that we should pray for. I don't, I think the other part is probably there as well, 
But I think the idea is it's a guard who's watching. We should know our society and we should know the surrounding. We should know our family. We should know what we should be praying for. Um, right now at our church, um, you've got the building going up and we're being asked to pray about that. We, we have people in our congregation that are going through hard things. Those people should be being prayed for. We have in our society big things that are happening that should be prayed for. Um, we have in your own personal life, there's going to be in your circle things that should be prayed for. We need to be watchful um, and, and, and careful to be praying for those things, okay? Um, and by the way, that one as well. A lot of times where it says to keep watch. In fact, Jesus, remember what he gets on his disciples about? falling asleep while they were praying. They didn't even realize what was happening and they're going out and they're falling asleep. And then finally, pray for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, Paul says to pray for him, that doors would be open, that the gospel would go forward. Um, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. There should be people who you are praying for because they are out there spreading the gospel and you know it, people and organizations. Um, we have lots and lots of promises in the New Testament about prayer. Uh, one of them is that prayer is effective. Uh, Jesus asks us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. The implication is that if we don't, they don't go out. And I don't know if, again, I can wrap my mind around that, that God can do whatever he wants, but in some way he expects us to be involved in it through prayer. Um, he um, urges us in Luke to pray and to not lose heart. Uh, there are several times in the New Testament where it's told to us that prayers were heard and answered. When Peter was in prison, and the church prays, and the angel comes and says, your prayers have been heard, and God acts. And Simon, who is, not Simon, um, the, um, the uh, now I've lost the name. It's the, uh, the one who the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles. Um, Cornelius. Cornelius, thank you. Um, God comes to him and says, your prayers have been heard and Paul, uh, Peter is being sent to you to give you the Holy Spirit. Um, our prayers are effective. Now, let, let me, I'm gonna do something a little different today. Uh, this is a difficult topic for a lot of us because a lot of you are sitting here saying, yes, I believe all of that, but prayer is really, really hard for me. I remember hearing a pastor say, we sing Sweet Hour of Prayer. How many know that song? None of the young people. David does. Sweet Hour of Prayer. We sing Sweet Hour of Prayer and we avoid it like the plague. It's like, ooh, that one hurts. Um, I was out of, heard a sermon by a pastor and he started out, he said, I'm gonna to talk to you about prayer today. And he said, it is said that Hudson Taylor, who went to China, committed himself to pray for China and that for the 50 years that he was there, the sun never rose on China without finding Hudson Taylor on his knees. And he goes, doesn't that make you feel terrible? 
And it was like, yeah, because I don't pray that way, right? So I'm just going to be honest with you. Prayer has always been a struggle for me. And my guess is that for some of you in here, it's a struggle for you as well. It's hard to, to pray. We know that we're supposed to. We know that it's something that is valuable. We know it's a part of our Christian life. You actually can't stop praying because the Holy Spirit will keep drawing you back. Not that you want to, but if you go through a time that's relatively prayerless, there's a conviction that comes and it drives you back to prayer. If you are a, a, a Christian who is, uh, has the Holy Spirit, there will be a constant tug back to prayer. And yet at the same time, prayer, I, I'm sure if I asked everybody to put their head down and raise their hand, if this was true, that prayer is difficult for you, that I would have a lot of hands go up. Because that the tendency is for us to say, yes, I know it's really, really important, but I start praying and it is hard for me to do for any length of time or for a lot of consistency. And that has been true of, of me. And I've tried all sorts of different things. Like I said, I used to pray on my knees thinking you can't fall asleep on your knees. Trust me, you can fall asleep on your knees. Uh, so then I would go out walking around the house. Um, and the weather's usually nice enough, you can do it, and I would go walking each night. But then my mind gets distracted. Um, I've been told by people, you should always have a piece of paper by your bed when you're praying so that all of the distractions come up, all the things that you're thinking about you need to do for the next day, you can write down. Because it seems like all of that comes back. So the reason I'm telling you all of that is this last Christmas, when I was at, um, I was down in Orange County, and I ended up, we only took one car down, and my mom usually has a ton of projects for me to work on. She had no projects. April was gone most of the time. The kids scattered with their cousins. My mom wasn't even there. I'm sitting up at the house by myself, so I had brought some books to read. And I read the books, because there was plenty of time. I don't like watching TV by myself or a movie, so I, I and then I had brought this one great big book that I thought would be really cool. It turned out not to be a very good book. I got it from Caps. Um, and, it, and I got, it was historical fiction, and I got about 50 pages in, and it was missing 50 pages. It's like, okay, is this some sort of sick joke? I don't know. Anyways, so, uh, but I wasn't even into it, so I put it aside, and I went, and I started looking, and it turned out that Esther had a little book, this little book here, called Praying the Bible. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be teaching on prayer here uh, in, at uh, Sunday school in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to read it. Um, let, me, let me just read something out of it, because I have found that this has been a life changer for me, the principle that's in this book. Um, and let me just start it. This is a quote from John Piper. It says, if I try to pray for people or events, without having the word in front of me guiding my prayers, then several negative things happen. One is that I tend to be very repetitive. I just pray the same things all the time. Another negative thing is that my mind tends to wander. And then he goes on and he says, since prayer is talking with God, why don't, this is now the author, not John Piper, why don't people pray more? Why don't the people of God enjoy prayer more? 
I maintain that people truly born again, genuine Christian people, do not pray simply because they do not feel like it. And the reason they don't feel like praying is that when they do pray, they tend to say the same old things about the same old things. Um, and he goes on to explain in the book that, um, that oh, he actually gives an illustration. He says, imagine that you were told that you could have an audience with the most fascinating person you could think of. Just picture in your mind, maybe you don't have one, but if there was one person in the world that you could sit down and talk with, and you had a one hour conversation with that person, and I told you I could arrange that for you. Everybody interested? Yeah, you go, this is fantastic. So you go and talk with the person, and I come back the next day and I say, guess what? He wants to meet with you again on one condition. You have to go and say exactly the same thing to him that you said yesterday. It's gonna be the exact same conversation. And then the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day, he said, how long do you think it's gonna be before you say to me, please stop making me meet with that person? <laughs> right? It's not gonna take very long. Now, uh, I'm not gonna do an entire book uh, report on this, but, and, and some of you I know are, are kind of, it's like, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to pray about the same things? And he actually talks about that. He says, look, if you take a room like this, there are probably six things that we're all praying for, okay? If you, if you are um, uh, married, you're probably praying for your spouse. Everybody agree? If you have children and grandchildren, you are praying for your children and grandchildren. You're probably praying about your finances because all of us have issues that come up, things that we're concerned about. Uh, you're probably praying for the future. He said, typically in almost everybody's life, there's a crisis going on. Every six months or so, there's a crisis that comes up. So you're praying about that crisis. And then you probably have people on your prayer list that you're praying for. He said, that's our world. And that's who we're supposed to be praying for. He said, I'm not saying don't pray for those people. I'm just saying don't pray for them in the same way every single time. And he said, but everybody says, but then what do I say? And this is where it became interesting to me. He said, the book of Psalms, especially is a book that was given to us for us to give back to God. Psalms is a book of prayers to God and praises to God. And it's expected that we are saying them back to God. And that Jesus himself, that would have been his hymn book. Jesus probably knew 150 psalms by heart. And he probably had music to them. And he sang those songs. And he prayed those songs back to God. We know that when he was on the cross, he did, right? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right out of Psalm 22. Uh, certainly when he's talking about himself being the great shepherd, he's thinking about the 23rd Psalm. Um, when he is... Uh, praying, he's, he's praying through, perhaps, we don't know that for 100% certain, but he's praying through the Psalms. So what the author suggests, and I, again, I'm not going to do a whole book report. There's a plan on how to, how to do this just to get you started, and then he assumes it'll be different. But he talks about praying through a Psalm. So you take a Psalm and you pray through it 
by taking the words and, and thinking about meditating on it and offering it back to God. So let me give you an example because it may be a little unclear at this point. Go to Psalm 23. Actually, you probably don't need to turn there because we all know it, right? In fact, we didn't even need to turn there, right? What's the first line? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Father, thank you that you are my shepherd. Thank you that you have given yourself for me. Thank you, Father, that you love me and that you provide for me and you take care of me. Father, pray, I pray, for, and then you can go on and talk about your children. Don't your children need shepherding? They need Jesus to be their great shepherd. And all of a sudden you're praying for your children in a way that you haven't prayed for them before. Oftentimes we get focused on the little things, but they need a, a shepherd. And it may be that you know somebody else who's going through something really hard at that point, and you pray for that person at that point. And then, um, then you get to the next one. And in fact, let me, let me read what he says, because um, it's, I'll see if I can find it in here. As he actually takes the 23rd Psalm as an example. Um, yeah, he says this, I'm just going to read from here. He says, Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. You've shepherded me all my life. And great shepherd, please shepherd my family today. Guard them from the ways of the world. Guide them into the ways of God. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. Oh, great shepherd, I pray for my children. Cause them, my children, cause them to be your sheep. May they love you as their shepherd as I do. And Lord, please shepherd me in the decision that's before me about my future. Do I make that move, that change or not? I also pray for our under shepherds at the church. Please shepherd them as they shepherd us. So now let's say you run out of things to say about the Lord is my shepherd. What do you do next? Read the next verse or the next line. And the next line is, I shall not want. Lord, I thank you that I've never really been in want. I haven't missed too many meals. All that I am and all that I have has come from you, but I know it pleases you that I bring my desires to you. So would you provide the finances that we need for those bills, for school, for the car? And, and I, I'm not gonna keep reading, but he goes on and what he says is, what you will find is that you're praying for all of the things you've ever prayed for and probably more. Because when you get to certain verses, it'll take your mind to, say, missionaries and people who are going on missions trips. It'll talk about protection or it'll talk about um, the Lord's name would be praised. And Jesus Christ becomes the focus of all of it because all of these things, when we read the Lord is our shepherd, you think of Jesus Christ. When it talks about our salvation, that's gonna take your mind toward Jesus Christ. Um, I have been doing this for the last month, and I, I can tell you that it's made a difference. The, my prayer life has become um, fuller and richer, um, and it, it's not hard to pray easily for a half an hour and then realize, okay, I need to stop praying, because, as opposed to what it used to be where you kind of work real hard and you look at your watch and go, oh great, I just prayed for 10 minutes. I've gone through the whole list. And I know I'm supposed to pray for longer than this. So 
I, I'm throwing that out as an example. I actually, um, I bought a number of these and it'd be nice to have one. If you want to get one, I would, you can take one. They were a few bucks and, and um, if you want to take it and read it and bring it back, but if you want to get the book, I would encourage you if your prayer life is, is suffering. I don't think that this would be the answer for everybody in terms of there's all sorts of different people. Some of you are gonna read this and it's gonna turn you off, but there would be others of you perhaps who are going to read this and go, okay, that, that helps. And I, no, it's by a guy by the name of uh, Donald Whitney. I don't know who he is, but I have the ISBN number. And like I said, I, had, I ordered uh, five of them because I didn't know what the interest would be. And I, I'm more than willing to give that away. I probably will buy a whole bunch of them. But, um, since I read it, I started doing it. It's actually kind of interesting. At one point in the book, he says, okay, now it's time to practice because he goes through all of it. He says, go read a psalm. And um, at that point, all the family had just come home. So I put the book away and I pick up the book and it says, did you do it? <laughs> and I was like, no, he says, then go do it because you won't understand it until you do. What I have found is that actually it sounds weird because it's the Old Testament, but it gives you a fuller understanding who, who Jesus is. Because you start reading these things and you realize that all of what's in the Psalm is true because of Jesus Christ. When David talks about the Lord is my strength and my shield and my stronghold, when he talks about that justice and righteousness is the foundation of his throne, when it talks about the steadfast love, my thoughts are taken to Jesus, who is the one who made that all possible. When it talks about us being blessed, it's through Jesus Christ that all the blessings come. And he talks about then other parts of the scripture. The, the, the book isn't praying the, the Psalms, it's praying the Bible. But he says, start in the Psalms because they're the easiest. And then once you do that, you learn how to. And he actually quotes other people. He quotes, for instance, Spurgeon, who says, I would never pray without my Bible open in front of me. Which is just different for me because that's not, I mean, I was taught you close your eyes, right? You're not really praying unless your eyes are closed. So you gotta close your eyes. So how can the Bible be in front of you? So um, I, I hope that's an encouragement to you. If, if you're like me, you, you've struggled with prayer always sort of felt inadequate and he talks about that he says people you talk with them they say it just must be me everybody else around me seems to have a vibrant prayer life um, well until you start talking to them real close and then you find out that they actually don't um, and there are some who do the, let me ask a question does anybody in here do that pray with uh, pray the bible where the bible's open and you you pray through it i'm just curious if anybody else has has, has had other experience doing that parker uh, tell us. A good one to do, yeah. Um, I know I talked with my son-in-law about this and he said, oh, I, I always pray through the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, I love praying through the Sermon on the Mount. 
So I know there's other people who are doing it, and some of you may have as well. So um, let me do this. Um, we're going we're gonna to end here unless there's questions for me. Let me take questions. But I will put, for those of you who want to order it yourself, you know what? We'll just leave one here, snap a picture of the ISBN number and the book. And then please take, take the books. And if there's more that need to be ordered, we'll, we'll order more of them. Because I just, I, I've found a complete transformation in the way that I now approach prayer. And it's been long enough that I know it's not just a passing fab, because it's been more than a month that, that, um, that I've been doing this. And it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to pray. So that's why when we talk about being steadfast in prayer, I'm, I'm sure there were some of you going, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be, but I'm not really. Watchful in prayer, that's why I got a kick out of Charlie making the face when I said that, because a lot of us have fallen asleep in prayer. Praying for the furtherance of the gospel, some of us have just enough trouble getting through our little prayer list, and the gospel isn't even thought of outside of that. So questions for me or comments before we, before we finish? I know that was a little different to do it that way, but this was just something that has made a difference for me. So. What, what I would say, it's really interesting, is there is, I, I kind of thought when I started this, well, all these other things on my prayer list won't get prayed for. They get prayed for more. Because you come on to a verse that talks about protection from enemies. And now I'm thinking about all of the people who have illness and who are going through struggles. And I think of our missionaries on the front lines uh, especially ones who are in dangerous countries or like Lucio or um, uh, even Corey and Christine and Melody and Arion in a predominantly Muslim country or Lucio where the Catholic Church is so opposed to him. You know, I mean, all, all of a sudden, and then my children, it's brought up in different ways. Rather than just praying, like it says, the same thing, I'm praying for my children because it's talking about um, blessing being poured out on the people of God. Well, uh, now I can... I can use the Bible and pray God that he pours out his blessing upon the children of God. Or you get to a passage that talks about um, number your days. Well, I'm praying for my children that they will number their days. That's not just for me now. When it talks about um, the, the God's word being proclaimed, now all of a sudden I'm praying for Pastor Scott and for um, our missionaries and I'm praying for all of the pastors at the church and things that I may have had on my list, but I kind of run through it and I'm not really thinking about it. And uh, it, it actually has, I've, I think I've prayed more, I'm just coming off of what you said, I think I'm actually praying more for myself, but not where the focus is on, is on me, which is a weird thing. And I'm praying more for the things that were on my prayer list that, that, um, you know, I, I would have maybe gotten to the ones at the bottom of the list that you, you sort of just run out of time for or you run through them real quick and they're being prayed for in a totally different way. So anything else, but that's good. Anything else? 
All right, let's close in prayer.